Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's Let's hit hit the the grind. grind. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Menachem Pritzker, uh, VP of Growth at Calabria. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, as always, uh, Sharon Weiss-Greenberg, our Senior Content Manager. And uh, today we're joined by Jeff Yeager. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff is the VP of Customer Success at PureSpot, uh, the leading enterprise tech review platform. He's spent the last decade delighting customers with his human-first, high-touch approach to customer success. Uh, He's all about meeting the person behind the logo, helping every individual with their needs and goals. And in addition to customer success, Jeff has spent three years as a tank commander, his dad of three, and would love to discuss the proper use of a table saw. Why don't you get us started on table saws? (laughs) What I found was that spending 14 hours a day at a desk is not conducive to any sort of uh, health, mental or otherwise, and so I highly encourage anybody at a desk job to find a hobby that does not involve sitting. Um, I found woodworking. I don't want to say I'm very good at it, but um, I'm getting to a point where I can make things that don't break. If you're interested in woodworking, I'm not going to go too far into this, but if you're interested, the way you move from an amateur woodworker to somebody who can actually create like pretty decent things is you buy a table saw. It's going to change your life. Could we, could we just take a moment to establish your cred on table saw uh, proper use? Can you hold up all yeah. 10 fingers? Yeah. Um, I have 10 fingers to date. <laughs> right. um, I also am a table saw owner now for uh, in the range of seven years. So I do have I do have some experience. Probably almost as long as you've been working resume. in customer success. Uh, almost as long as I've been in customer success, I have been yeah. a table saw owner. You could say that those, those um, journeys are very tightly linked. And if you, you know, if you buy a table saw, aside from the incredible fear of dying, it will transform your woodworking experience and, uh, and the gifts that you provide to your friends and family. If you have received a gift from me made of wood, it means I like you. If you have not. <laughs> it's <laughs> it got awkward you. now. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, have I ever gotten a gift from you that was made of wood? That's what very versatile tool will end on what, that. <laughs> what does table your table saw expertise in any way influence your day job? Um, definitely patience, because I mean, like anything else, you're going to suck at it at first. There's no question. You're you're going to make so many mistakes. It's going to cost you a fortune if you didn't know wood is expensive, but also losing customers is pretty expensive. Um, the tools are really expensive, as are I guess the desk office we're working in and the laptop in front of me. Blah blah blah. But um, definitely patience, definitely research um, is, is a skill that has been handy in both. Um, you will not get good at either one if you don't take the time to uh, research the history behind them and uh, watch the people who know what they're doing. And I think at the end, I'll, I'll give some recommendations of people that I follow in customer success. I also give and, and a woodworking. fairly decent list of woodworking references uh, <laughs> that I follow, but uh I would also say YouTube is, is definitely closely tied between the two. I watch a lot of content on both 
on uh, various you know video platforms. But certainly, uh, certainly, hard work and persistence are, are present in both. Is there one woman in particular that stands out where, you know, if you go back in time, you would shake yourself and say, what were you doing? And or, or maybe you do that with a newbie nowadays, only not physically shaking them. I'll answer the question sort of maybe indirectly. Every time we train a new crop of CSMs um, or even salespeople, because here the, the jobs, you know, there's a lot of interplay. And I think we'll actually get into that later. We always say once that training's over, we're, I'm literally looking at a conference room full of trainees now. And every time they finish, we say, wow, that was the best training we've ever did. Like if they only knew what it used to be like, um, because, you know, I've, I've been, at, I'm going on six years at, at Pure Spot. I mean, I guess in my sixth year, you could say. And I remember what it was like getting here with basically no customer success function. And I remember what we used to do. And the fact that we ever renewed a customer or ever got a decent NPS score or you know, ever sign big deals and, and develop new products is shocking to me because we were working on uh, with such a small team and such a limited budget and, and just running on pure creativity and grit. Um, so I, I shake myself sometimes to like, you know, sort of remember where we were and, and not fall back into the, those old patterns, right? To, to make sure that we keep innovating and keep growing because uh, we're, we're a much better company for it, obviously. So Jeff, Jeff, I was, you know, we, we worked together uh, in the past and I was, I was a witness to your uh, meteoric rise through, uh, through Pure Spot. You started as an SDR. Uh, correct me if, let, let, let me try to get this right. All right. You started as an SDR. Uh, you became a customer success manager. Uh, from customer success manager, you were kind of like an informal team leader for a while. Uh, and then uh, that got formalized with your, you were promoted to the senior director of customer success uh, and then eventually promoted to VP customer success, right? I'll give you an 85 on that, 85%. Um, yeah, I did start an SDR. Um, yeah. I, I had done a, a customer success-like position, I think before that for about three years. I think in those years, the term customer success actually wasn't as popular, but I've, I've since retroactively updated my LinkedIn to call it customer success because <laughs> that's what it was. Um, and I came into this new company and SDR just, it seemed like this interesting challenge. It seemed like this very rough, difficult job that nobody really knew how to, how to create a recipe for success yet. And um, it was just an interesting opportunity to start. And I'll also share it was the only job that was open uh, um, at PeerSpot. And Pierce was conveniently, conveniently located near my home. Those were definitely uh, factors. But I started an SDR and I just, I loved it. I'm not the most competitive person by nature, but if you stick me against competitive people, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go into it. And I started with some highly competitive people. Um, but about, about four months into my SDR journey, um, I, I had, a, had my, my first kid and uh, I went out for the week of paternity leave that you get in Israel. Nobody knew that. That week is also made up of vacation days and sick days. It is not actually paternity leave. So that's fun. Um, and when I came back, I, uh, my, the VP of sales called me into his office and he said, hey, you do customer success now. Uh, no more of that SDR stuff. And I was like, I'm Surprise, sorry. Surprise, you're a dad yeah. and customer success. Okay. Exactly. I think, he, I think he took another look at my resume. There was an opening at the company. And uh, he just said, you know, I, I will, you know, I'll make a decision here. So very short stint as an SDR, a couple of years as a CSM. And then uh, I 
became, I, I took over the team there, no, no sort of informal period. Um, I, I took over managing the team and, um, you know, I've been very blessed to have a CEO in, in Russell Rothstein, the Pierce Boss CEO, who from the beginning, and I really think from the inception of customer success, we could do a whole episode about that, but uh, has been a very big proponent of it, obviously of, of value for customers and, and just the pure business logic of, of it being much cheaper to retain customers and acquire new ones. And so he's been an amazing advocate always. He really gave me the reins to um, grow the team, obviously with, with people and with, with responsibility and functions. So over you know, my, my years in the team, we went from, um, from basically two to about 15 um, over, let's say the last three years was that big jump. Um, so yeah, now I, I am the VP of customer success. I sit on the company's executive team. Um, rep, sort of rep, let's, let's call it, I, I represent the customer at the executive level. I'm, I'm their advocate, um, you know, when it comes to making decisions for the company. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to go back to something that you said. Uh, I think you, you're referring to your work as an SDR, but it, it, it you know, applies to kind of your general outlook uh, and how you approach your job. You said you, you're a very competitive person and that, that competition with your peers, uh, really, really drives you to succeed. Um, would you say that account management and, and customer success in general, uh, is it more of a, is it a competitive sport? Is, are you playing against the other, you know, friendly, but are you playing against the, the other people that are on your team and kind of pushing each other to drive more? Or is it a collaborative effort? Do people on the team help each other? Uh, do they help each other close deals? And uh... here's what I would say. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm not the most competitive person. Uh, I know that about myself. Um, I've been fairly successful at sales in my career, but I much prefer the pure customer success aspect of things. I must prefer much for getting into the details and building strategies. And, you know, I, I do plenty of selling, but it's entirely value-based. That, that's my particular outlook. And that's, that's where I've, I take the team. Um, as far as, as far as the competitive nature of customer success, I think it depends on the company and it depends on the culture, but even um, let's look at sales for a second, right? Sales is sort of the ultimate competitive um, example. I, I think in technology, um, there's going to be competition in any team. I'm sure developers are competing for, you know, who's going to roll out features faster, or who's going to write the most interesting code and who's going to get noticed. And there's always competition in any position where you're looking to grow. Sales in particular is, um, it's so measurable, right? It's mm -hmm. so easy to say who's ahead. And so it becomes a competition, even though it's not, right? It's a competition in the sense that maybe the best salesperson will get promoted. But uh, I actually find in many cases, the best salesperson won't get promoted because you need that person to keep being the best salesperson. And also the people who are the best salespeople sometimes don't want to be promoted because um, they want to continue making a fortune. And the moment you move up, you make a lot less. That's just the reality of it. Um, you get, you know, I think a much more rounded experience in the workplace and you get to work on more interesting things, but you make less. So, um, in the in the customer success world, sort of in parallel, I, I would say it's less competitive only because you don't gain anything by your teammate not doing as well, right? At the end of the day, if uh, you hit your target but the company misses, um, you you will struggle, right? And you'll suffer on account of that. Um, and also, I think it'll depend a lot on the model of customer success that you have. So we do, uh, there, you sort of customer success will, uh, depending on the company you're at, will range anywhere from sort of tech touch, which is, you know, a lot of FAQs and automation. Sometimes, you know, you can log a support ticket and somebody get back to you within, you know, 72 hours. 
in a good, in, you know, on a good day. You know, I was just on the, I, I was trying to get in touch with United Airlines. It took me like six days to get somebody on their chat. And then you'll have sort of middle of the ground, which is like a, a pooled CSM model where, you know, you'll send a request and somebody will answer you, right? And then there's really high touch customer success, which is what we do, where um, every customer knows exactly who their CSM is and they know exactly who to contact. So in that pooled model, mm -hmm. I'd say there's probably no competition because you don't actually know which customer you're going to work on that day, right? And you're probably not responsible for upselling to them because that'll be more of a sales role because again, you're not tied directly to any particular group of customers. I think you'll find that model more in, in sort of pure SaaS. Um, with our model in high touch, I think there's the potential for maybe perceived competition because uh, you know, some people will have a quota and you know, I, I'm looking actually right across my screen at a big TV that we have in the open area where we sit that's showing our NPS scores. Um, for the quarter and, you know, there's, there's a leaderboard there and you see who's on top. Um, so to, to wrap up a very long-winded answer, there's competition, but it's healthy competition, right? At the end of the day, it's very clear that we all need to succeed. Otherwise, we, we're not going to hit our targets. So you'll have a lot of instances, at least on my team, where uh, CSMs are joining each other's calls. Um, we run a lot of team meetings that are based around splitting up into pairs and discussing problematic accounts especially with um, peers that you typically wouldn't talk to, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're working on enterprise accounts and they're working on mid-market, it's possible you wouldn't normally speak to each other, though you might not know that they have a very particular challenge. It's exactly like the one you're facing now and they've already solved it. So there's competition because people that come into customer-facing roles are usually pretty vibrant, intense, you know, charismatic people, but um, it's healthy competition that uh, I think is up to leadership to manage. How do you, how do you encourage that collaboration then? Uh, you know, if it's so competitive, um, it, it's so competitive, but you know, not, not necessarily playing against each other, but you know, just yeah. in seeing who's the best, uh, do you ever, ever have any trouble between uh, in encouraging one part of the team to, you know, reach out and help bring up another part of the team? Never had trouble but it's definitely a culture we had to build. It's not something that was obvious that everybody's supposed to help each other. Um, I think the, it's sort of a chicken or the egg, if you will, where um, either you hire people who you know are collaborative or you, uh, and then they're, they naturally are drawn towards that, or you create a culture that you're supposed to collaborate and people will associate themselves with it. So I, I think it's both here. I think we, we look for people who are um, just just good humans and are, are really just, you know, um, nice, friendly, helpful, pleasant people to be around. Uh, and I find that personality is generally, generally leans itself to helping others. But also um, it's something we've pushed very hard on to develop a culture around it, right? It, it started out as sort of forcing people to help each other. So I would mandate, okay, in today's team meeting, split up and help each other. Um, or, you know, hey, uh, you know, Josh, Sam has a call tonight. Um, I'd like you to join it and help him out. Um, so it started off as sort of creating situations where people are required to help each other. Um, and then it just continues. Um, and, and that was true when sort of I was, it was sort of a flat organization under me and I was managing everybody. And it continues to be true as I've promoted people and the managers are now um, continuing on that that culture that we've built 
of within their own teams creating collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can always go to your manager and I'd say 80, 80 percent of the time they'll probably have the answer for you. But it's a lot more impactful to the team if you get that answer from your peer. Um, and so the managers are constantly making sure that people within the teams are collaborating. So I, I don't think it's something that uh, should be taken for granted. I think it's, if it's something that's important to you and it's something that your model supports, then you need to put systems in place to, to almost require collaboration before it becomes natural. Can I ask a question about, um, just following up on that? In the hybrid remote future workplace or today's workplace, um, how do you make it natural collaboration or feel natural? So we're, we're in the office three times a week, um, which I think is probably most more than most companies. I've seen a lot of companies doing twice a week. Um, I'm here every, I'm here every day. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm old fashioned. Um, I don't really like working from home. Uh, I do it. I do it for half my day every day. You know, I work in the evenings and I work uh, you know, a lot of the American hours and uh, I, I do that from home because my wife would change the locks if I didn't. But I, I don't like to be at home. I like to be around people. I like to be in the office. I like to have my people around. And I find that, um, and again, I can only speak for my team, that the people that we bring in, who are, again, are people people, right? Uh, mm -hmm. every, every interview... Um, Every interview I do with any potential CSM, the first question I ask them is, what are you really good at? And they're always, they're always sort of thrown off by it because it's, it's a very blunt question. Tell me what you're good at. Um, and they always repeat it back to me like, what am I really good at? And the first thing every single person comes up with bar none is I'm really good with people. And I tell them, obviously you're applying for this job. What are you really good at? Um, all the people that come for customer success positions like people. Um, if you are in a customer success position and you don't like people, you should find another job um, because job. Uh, <laughs> you go, go to go to ops, go to uh, really anywhere else. You're, you're not going to do well in customer success. So on that front, um, I encourage my team to be here. I don't I don't force them. Obviously, I'm, I'm not blind and I realize there's a new age here and, you know, people need to be given the flexibility to live, live their life the way they want. Um, I I do try to promote people being in the office. However, um, we did have a couple of years where that didn't really happen so much. So there were a few things that, you know, we tried to do to keep collaboration going, especially as we hired people who had met, never met each other. Um, that was a big one. We still, uh, yesterday, somebody who was on the team a while back met somebody, you know, he started working three years ago and he was in the office yesterday and met somebody for the first time. One thing we did, one thing we did was again, keep forcing these collaborations. So, when COVID started, I had a five-minute standing daily meeting with everybody on the team. Um, it wasn't like in the calendar. You called me on my cell phone at some point during the day and told me, what, what are you doing that day? And then I said, thank you, and we hung up. That kept sort of my collaboration with my people very active because at least once a day, I knew what they were up to. Um, and it was, it was the opposite of micromanaging. I didn't, there were sort of no questions. It was like, hey, Jeff, today I'm working on this. Have a good day. Um, so that helped between me and the team. And then because of the high touch model, we do anywhere between 700 and 1,000 calls with customers every quarter. And so it's, there's plenty of opportunities to have people join each other on those calls. And so we set up a lot of situations where people were joining calls, either as part of training 
because they need to learn how to run them, but certainly as part of their regular work with either people they don't hang out with a lot or uh, even people they do to make sure they had experiences. And what that drove was not just spending time together on that call, but after the call, it's like, oh, wow, that was amazing. Uh, you know, you did such a good job. Or, hey, do you have a second? I have a follow-up question on what we worked on on that call. Or, hey, do you have any advice on how I go about that thing they talked about? And there were all these sort of follow-on conversations that went on there. So that's something, you know, I hope to continue. I, I won't say we've solved it. It's definitely a challenge promoting collaboration when you're not near each other. Um, I would say when, when you're in the office, and maybe this is obvious, but there's there's tons of these like, you know, somebody walks through the hallway and I'll, I'll just call them and be like, hey, do you have a second? And it just reminds me of this idea I had and it sparks conversations. It's the kind of things that don't happen when you're not standing in proximity to each other. So I plan as much as I can to keep a vibrant office culture. Um, I, it's extre extremely important to my leadership as well. Um, and I, you know, I hope my team will oblige me. But what about outside of your, your department? Uh, you know, obviously, Collaboration is very important with with uh, you know support ops uh, with everybody that you need to to reach out to in order to you know get get what you need for your for your accounts done. Um, how much are you reliant to that? Just kind of casual walking down the hall, like, "Hey, uh, I need something from you," or <laughs> "Give me some advice on yeah. this." So, any anything that's crucial, anything that needs to happen as part of a process is, is a process, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. require seeing that person in order for it to happen. Um, if it's something that's that's part of how we run the business, a part of what's required to provide a customer, then there's a very clear dictated process for how to do that. And you know, nothing sort of falls through, falls through the crack when you're not in proximity. Um, but that doesn't necessarily um, spark any, any sort of innovation, right? A lot of the innovation happens when you do see each other and you do just get to talking and you do get to brainstorming about that thing you spoke about last night. So generally less formalized. I find that a lot of our best ideas don't happen in a formal setting. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I would say. Um, and we also do our best to create informal settings. So we have a lot of budget that we put, every team puts towards team building activities. Um, and sometimes we'll do cross team building activities, right? So, you know, we'll decide that today ops and customer success are going to the beach, you know? And, uh, and we're going to go have lunch and we're going to talk. And even if nothing comes up in that setting, you are now much closer to those people and you'll feel more comfortable either talking about an idea or, you know, when you are, when you're thinking about some, or, 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 or when you are there thinking about something, they're more likely to come to you and actually express it instead of just leaving it in their head. Um, yeah, th those those situations spark a lot of creativity and a lot of discussion. We, we just this week, a couple of days ago, the CS team went and uh, we did like a volunteering day, and we went to paint a uh, a center for special needs uh, adults. And it wasn't, you know, it it was just to get out of the office, and yeah, we could do something fun and you know, sort of self serving, or we could go and completely shift things around and. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm always listening. Well, you know, my, my job is not to lead every conversation. My job is to sort of pay attention and notice mm -hmm. um, what's happening around me and do something with that information. So as I'm sort of up on a ladder painting, I'm hearing out of the, out of, you know, the corner of my ear, <laughs> that's not an expression, um, two people talking, yeah, two people talking about a customer. Um, I've never seen those two people talk about a customer before. 
And they had just a very lively discussion as they're covered in paints and, you know, uh, in the middle of Jerusalem, somewhere we've never been before. So anything we could do to create uh, informal creative settings, we do. Can I go back to the question that you ask people when you're interviewing them and they yeah. say, I'm a people person. And you're like, of course you're a people person or you shouldn't be here. Yeah. What's the right answer? Don't, don't make him give away his, his interview. What's the wrong secrets? answer? <laughs> the wrong answer is I'm a people person, right? <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I know, I know you're a people person. And also, by the way, I know if you're not a people person within about five seconds. It's not right? something I, really I, fake. <laughs> it's I, i'm a people person i like to smile i like to be around people you know menachem knows me for a long time menachem's a people person um if you're a people person you know who's depends on the person yeah fair <laughs> enough um the, the right answer is what are you good at the right answer is the answer to that question i can tell you off the bat uh, and by the way my next question is what are you not good at and and they struggle even more with that one like, oh, God, what do I do now? You know, what, what am I not good at? Well, I'm, I'm great at everything. Of course I am. Um, some interesting answers maybe that I've gotten of what I'm good at. Um, people will tell me they're organized. Um, that's huge for me. I, I, I found, at least in my career, probably 80% of success is just being on top of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not letting things drop. If, if a manager knows that with 100% reliability, they can count on you, You'll, you'll get you'll get places. Actually, it doesn't actually matter what you're doing. As long as you have done what they asked you to do when they asked you to do it, you're good. Um, people will tell me they're organized. People will tell me that they are um, relentless, right? I am really good at being relentless. Point me somewhere and I'm going to get there. And I'm, gonna, <laughs> and I'm not going to give up until I do. Um, people will tell me they're really good with Microsoft Office. It's, it's a pretty good skill to have. I wish I was better with Excel. You know, I, I used to actually offload all that work to Menachem because he's a wizard. Um, people have told me that. People I would have secretly told me... just pay people on Fiverr to do the Excel work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. Uh, people have told me that. He's relentless. They, yeah. People have told me they're really good at building relationships. And I, that is different from being a people person because building relationship requires investment. And... You know, they, uh, what I do is I document all these answers, and this is in the phone interview. This isn't like the pre the preamble. And if they make it past that, I bring these up again, and then I get deeper on the questions. Um, you know, in in the next interview, but what what people tell me they're not good at is is start gets entertaining sometimes. Okay, that's dash. No, can we do that? Um, I I don't. I'm trying to remember specific things. People will tell like me. My, my favorite thing, my favorite answer to uh, what are you not good at is I work too hard. I, I care. I care too much. <laughs> and I, I wow, respond. Sounds like with, he's a really hard worker. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I respond. This is and this is the answer. It's it's no, that's a strength. What are you not good at? And uh, Menachem knows exactly where I'm getting this from. It's 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 a book that we've all read on uh, on hiring processes that I follow religiously. It's called Who? Um, fantastic book for any anybody learning to hire or even people who've hired for years and are looking to switch things up. They give you this incredible framework for um, literally how to handle the entire process. The book happens to be built for hiring like Fortune 500 executives, but you can find really interesting snippets there on how to get people um, to really divulge the information you care about. Um, so yeah, pe people tell me a lot, I care too much, I work too hard. Um, some people will tell me um 
oh, somebody told me they have bad handwriting. And uh, I said, well, we'll give you a laptop. I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> what, what are you not good Be accommodated. At? Yeah, we'll, we'll take care of you there. Uh, yeah, so, you know, some people tell me they're not great at time management. And that's legit. Um, it's, not, it's not a red flag. Maybe it's a red flag. It's not a no for me, right? It's my job as a manager to, you know, probably get about 85% of what I want and train the last 15%. Um, but yeah, hiring is an adventure. Sounds like you're really focused on soft skills over hard skills. The, the answer is yes. I think it was, meaning I, I would love somebody with really great hard skills if they come across. Um, it's definitely a plus. Uh, what happened in the last few years is customer success exploded. Everybody's hiring for it. Not everybody's sure what it means, but everyone's hiring for it. And that means that, especially in the Israeli market, there's about, I don't know, let's say there's 2,000 people qualified for that job. Okay, qualified to be customer success managers, maybe 3,000 um, in the entire market. And we're talking about a country that has, I don't know how many startups we have, but the Startup Nation book says it's one for every 1,800 people in the country. I bet you it's like more 15 now. 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. I bet you it's more now. Everybody's hiring CSMs, which means that, and our office is not in Tel Aviv, right? So if I'm looking for people that match the exact resume that's ideal for me, I will never hire anybody because I can't always compete with the major corporations on salary and I can't always compete on location. What I can do, and this is where sort of the soft skills, we'll call them parallel skills come in, is I can go find every other profession that I think has the exact same skill set or a close enough skill set. And the moment I figure that out, hiring's a breeze. Um, I found a nutritionist, I found a lawyer, I found um, two tour guides, uh, somebody in fundraising. I'm, I'm waiting to hire my first teacher. I'm going to get there, but teachers are absolutely on my radar. And what I found are people who have never done this job before, um, many of whom, if you, you know, know of any of those, you know, know anything about any of those jobs in Israel, they're not the most fun. Um, lawyers in Israel are not quite as glamorous as it is in the US. I don't know if it's glamorous there, but it seems like it is if you ever watch Suits. And, um, and so I've been able to sort of gather- I feel like maybe outside of, outside of Israel, uh, people might be confused by like, yeah, I, I just look for lawyers and then hire them away from their lawyer job, uh, you know, into I, something a little posts, bit more lucrative in- uh, you I've know, written posts on job boards. Are you, are you a lawyer that speaks really good English? Come talk to me, I'm hiring. It works, right? What's the, I'm trying to remember what it, what the like American adage is. It's like, bring me like your weak, your broken masses, your, like I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning up on. Poor tired masses. Yeah, poor tired man. I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning up on all these people who are sick of the conditions that they're in. They're looking to get into tech. They're extremely smart. You're going to tell me lawyers and teachers are not the smartest people in this country. Um, you know, they, they're, and they're people, people by definition, you have to be to be good at those jobs. And I'm going to give them that first chance. And it's worked out magnificently. So far, my team over the last five years is 100% attrition. Nobody's ever left. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll take some credit for that. But really, part of it is just if you give somebody a chance, um, and this is where it's not just I've been able to hire. It's the advantage over hiring the people with experiences. These people are loyal. These people um, understand that you're, you're, you're a culture where you're going to teach them and mentor them and help them grow. And as long as you have a great place to work, you know, pay them well, give them interesting things to work on and have their back, they're going to stay. 
I realize that's a, that's a long answer for soft skills, but I, I'm looking for parallel skills. I'm looking for people who can do this job, but they don't know it yet, but I know it. Love that. So how do you, how do you find the managers out of that group? It's, it's hard because management. And I, and I guess the question in uh, bigger than that is like, how do you, how do you turn like a group of those skilled individuals into a, into a functioning team? Let's start with finding the managers. I think they'll, the, the rest will finding managers, managers is hard. Management is not the same skill as customer success. There's a lot of similar skills, right? You need to, you, you have people and they have goals and you want to help them achieve them. And you spend a lot of time interacting with them and you spend a lot of time developing systems and functions to help them get where they want to go. Um, and well, maybe it is a lot like customer success. Um, and, and another part of it that's maybe less spoken about in customer success is you often know where the customer needs to go. The customer won't always know, right? The customer's always right as BS. Um, in many cases, you just need to show them uh, or, or you need to make them figure out a different way to be right. Um, and that's very true in management. Um, you need to plot a course and, and trust that, you know, you as the manager, the reason you were promoted, the reason you're in this position is because you have that skill. You have the skill to plot a course for your people and guide them there, even though they may not think that's the right course for them. Um, so finding managers is really hard. It's something I, I definitely have not perfected. Um, I, I've hired a few. Uh, I, I've actually never hired a manager. Um, I've hired, I've hired a, a, let's say a director that I planned to turn into a manager and he has since, but I've never hired somebody directly into a management role. I've grown them and, and promoted them. And so in that sense, it's a luxury because I've been able to, um, identify early on who I think might have the potential and then sort of push them into different opportunities to see how they respond to it. Um, I don't know. I don't know yet how to hire a manager externally. It's going to happen at some point, um, and I'll have to figure it out. I think it's really hard, especially, um, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of the people on the team are long-standing people. So there's the challenge of them. You know, so, some people think they're management material, and they're not. And so when you bring in an external manager, and they sort of get, you know, snubbed. Um, there's a lot of potential for that. So I, I don't know all the answers when it comes to identifying managers. I know that if you're an excellent CSM and you can also um, take a step back and think more strategically about more than just what you're focused on, um, it's a good sign, right? Uh, I think all the managers that I've promoted so far are the people who, you know, when, when we have our one-on-ones, it's not just about their customers, right? Before I promoted them, it was about, hey, Jeff, you know, I'm kind of looking at this thing that you do and I'm wondering why, or, you know, I'm kind of looking at this thing the team does and I think it should be different. Or I noticed that my colleague, you know, Joe Schmo um, was struggling with this. I think it would be good if you spoke to them, right? They were, they were thinking about more than themselves. That's maybe the earliest sign, but I, I don't want to say I figured it out. How do, you, how do you make yourself better at your own job? Research. There is a there are a finite number of ideas that I can come up with, and there are a limited set of times where I will have the best idea, because there are a lot of people in my industry who are much smarter than me, have much more experience than I do, and have been through many more situations than I have. So I spend a lot of time um, reading, going to, and I'll I'll, I'll talk about this at the end. A specific community that I'm a part of that's helpful, but. I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn. I read their thoughts. 
Um, mm. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll give yeah, name you some names. names. I pulled up a few. So there's a, um, there's a customer success specific community called Gain, Grow, Retain. Uh, I'm a I'm a founding member of the community. It doesn't mean I'm the, the founder. I'm just one of the very early members and, and early adopters. Um, they it's a fabulous place for CS leaders, not so much for CSMs, um, but for CS leaders who are sharing. It's it's unbelievable. I, I liken it to university. I, I used to sit in class and I loved university because there were brilliant people who stood in front of me all day and told me what they know. And that, that was thrilling for me. I cho- you know, sort of chose sometimes if I wanted to listen or not. But all day, every day for three years, smart people told me all the things they know. I have that here, but I don't have to pay for it. It's, it's all of the, and there are serious CS leaders here, right? There are people from all of the major corporations you've ever heard of. Um, C, you know, there are CCOs and VPs of success and EVPs of revenue and all of these people who are holding all of the most valuable information about my industry in their heads and sharing it for free. So I spent a lot of time following those people, um, some of the people I follow. So the, the, the two founders of that community, uh, one of them is named J- Jay Nathan, he's, he's a, uh, and the other one is Jeff Bronsbach. Um, they, are, uh, they both work at a company now called Higher Logic. If you've ever built a community, you might, you might have looked into Higher Logic. Um, they're both heavily involved in customer experience there, but they, they share really just useful down-to-earth content I follow uh, somebody named Christian Jackensfeld, who he calls himself a, a customer success researcher. And uh, it's interesting. He, he researches customer success. He looks at trends. He hosts leaders on webinars. He you know, reads 10Ks and, and earnings reports from companies and, and pulls out insights. Um, interesting guy. Another guy is Marcus Wrench. Um, he uh, is, is, I think he's a consultant more, but talks a lot about tying customer success to to hard metrics, right? It's not this fluffy position of let's let's give value. What the hell is value? Quantify that for me, right? And it's gonna be different for your business. Uh, a couple other people, there's somebody named Josh Braun. He's much more sales focused, but he gives, he, he, he specializes from what I can see in how do you write really effective outreach emails? And um, that does a fabulous job there. Uh, another person named Christy Feltaruso, she um, seems to be, from what I can tell, she, she runs a much uh, lower touch type organization, but she seems to be a wizard when it comes to process um, and, and building repeatable processes and building handbooks for customers. Follow them on LinkedIn. Um, some of them mm-hmm. comment also in, in Gangro Retain, but what I did before the call is I just scrolled through my feed and anybody whose posts I consistently read. I put them on the list. So those are, and I think maybe in the bio of this, we can add links to their profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's that's a really good list of people to follow. And how can um, people follow you if they want to follow the Jeff Yeager playbook? I used to post more on LinkedIn than I do now. I would say, I mean, you're, you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I do post occasionally if I have thoughts. Oh, one more person that I highly recommend you follow. Um, this is, uh, uh, it's, he, he happens to be very passionate about customer success, but just anybody in SaaS or in business in general, you need to be following Jason Lemkin. He's uh, the, the CEO of a company called Saster. And he writes, uh, he's clearly uh, brilliant, like uh, just straight up a genius. He writes about business in a way that is so um, accessible mm-hmm. to the average person like me. Um, and uh, just read everything he writes, every single word, all the time. Uh, His best stuff put, is actually on on Quora. So he, he writes he, a lot I, of Quora. I, I found that a lot of what he writes on Quora now he's turning into articles and posting them on right. LinkedIn. 
So I think if you follow him, you'll get there. Um, everything he says, and he puts out, he puts out valuable content at a cadence that is unbelievable and never repeats himself. I don't know how he does it. As far as following me, I mean, if, if you, if I can help you with something, um, please, you know, chat, chat with me on LinkedIn. Um, Are you a people person? Helping. Like you're open to that? Um, I'm a people person during work hours. <laughs> um, can I add yeah. one more thing? Um, it's interesting because we're thinking a lot about customer facing people, these like in our office right now. And I'm curious to know if you could fill in, like pretend we're back at the SATs, CS customer success is to sales as blank is to blank. <laughs> uh, customer success is to sales as, well, maybe I'll fill it in twice. So if you're not doing things right, customer success is to sales as, as sort of water is to oil, right? They will not work well together. Um, it is so hard to create a really good um, bridge between customer success and sales or really good collaboration. Anybody in marketing knows it's the same thing with the sales marketing divide. It's so hard to get those teams working together. Um, if you have a really, in my case, if you have a really strong peer on the sales side, which I do, um, and you have really strong leadership and the company is invested in customers, which means that sales needs customer success in obviously in order to upsell, in order to renew, but also in order to understand where the market is shifting and how to approach deals, then I would say sales is to customer success as chocolate is to peanut butter, right? That's, you, you can't go wrong. And, and I am literally looking at like a Reese's cup here. Um, come over so you're kind of giving two, two opposite, <laughs> two opposite uh, answers here, you know, oil and water, are, you know, opposites that don't mix and uh, chocolate and peanut butter, which I mean, personally, I don't like peanut butter, but I, I have heard that they go very well together. Uh, so Jeff Yeager, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for hanging out with me. And uh, I would love to come back. And uh, once you guys figured out how to actually do this. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard? Let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon. <laughs>